0: hey and welcome to the entrepreneur's ecosystem podcast where we aim to help you the big-hearted change maker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high five yourself how by addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one size fits all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hey party people, welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem or welcome if this is your first foray into our universe. And this is our official, but not official holiday episode. So Joel said something about a Santa hat, None of you will see the video. So, if he did want to bust that out, we would be totally game. <laughs> but I let know. me introduce you. Yeah, to yeah. Our amazing guest, uh, Joel Kletke. Joel runs Case Study Buddy, sometimes writes coffee for clients, and has two kids under five. He cheers for hockey teams, sometimes for fun, and probably should lower his resting heart rate. And I love this little bio that does very very little justice to your brilliance and all that you've done, Joel. You really, like, you're, you're the humble, hmm. humble guy. Um, I, I want to just tell a little story about when I first discovered you. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you.
1: Probably not. That's exciting. It's kind of
0: weird, like... <laughs> I was just a little itty bitty baby copywriter in 2014 and I found your website and I was like, Oh my God, this guy, he's such an amazing writer. He's from Alberta. I'm from Alberta. Like I, I somehow came across what you were charging at that point. And I was like blown away that if this dude from Calgary could do it, maybe I could do it. And then I started stalking you and the rest is history. So thank you for being my inspiration. And it's, it's kind of surreal to now be on. a.
1: That's yeah, that's wonderful. I like the great part of that story is that I think my website is probably still the same as it was in 2014, just with slightly <laughs> updated pricing, but that is just, Fantastic, because my whole journey started in a similar way, not with stalking so much. I am so pleased about just at the core of my being. but <laughs> but I it, you know it was it was me loving writing, not really realizing it was a realistic career path. I'd written it off for myself, done a business degree because that seems safe. And then, in the course of working for the agency, we hired a freelancer that was billing 50 you know, bucks an hour. And at this, I'm like, $50 an hour, that's oil money. Like what? There's gold in them, there hills. And their work was terrible. So I'm like, well, if someone who's terrible can bill, you know, 50 an hour, like what could I, what could I, you know, bill? Uh, Cause I, th- I thought, well, I feel like I'm pretty good at writing. Like I should. Yeah. So that, that is a wonderful story. I'm better for knowing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you got started because look at you now.
0: Well, and then I joined the Copywriter Club Facebook group when it was really small. And Mm. I think now they probably have 15,000 members or something. But you were in there posting, and I was like, oh my God, Joel (laughs) Clucky's in here? Like, what? And I, yeah. So my
2: stalking just like continued. And here we are. I want to like. I want to say, like, actually, for me, it was really, really similar too. Although I didn't see your website, I read about you somewhere, and it was like you and Momoko. Um, and it was like right at the beginning of like finding out that copywriting was a thing, and I was like, "Whoa, everybody who's good at it is Canadian. What is this?" And, then, <laughs> and in the same way, I was like, "Okay, okay," like there, there could be something, something there for it, for us. And then in the Copywriter Club, I just remember being like. Whoa, this person is so freaking generous. Like the way I don't I haven't been in there for a long time. And I saw you posting recently, like maybe on LinkedIn, about how like you're not on social in the same way that you were, except maybe on LinkedIn, but. Yeah. You were just like so generous in there and giving such good advice and being so hilarious that like, it's like, I felt like I knew you before I, before I met you too. So I bet you have like a whole throng of us, uh Canadian and non-Canadian copywriters stalking you.
1: Well, this is just my favorite podcast. The <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, yeah, um, it's, like, I think every, I don't know, I think every copywriter's got somebody, right? Like, I shared the story about the agency, but, like, for me, it was Joanna Weeb. Like, I went out, and I, it was the same feeling. I discovered her work, and I I had not wanted to get into, you know, I had only seen direct response copywriting, and I, I hated it. My friend Jay that I worked with at the agency was like, oh, you should really do this. You know, I think you'd be great at this. I'm like, no, because all I'd seen was, like, the Agora, like, sketchy cancer treatment, use salesman. So I'm like, I want no part of this world at all. And then stumbling across Joe's work, you know, it's kind of similar to what you're saying, Donna. It was like, wait a second. Like, you don't have to be an asshole to do this. You don't have to like use weird, hideous layouts and 19 different font sizes and like highlights. And then same thing. It's like, she's Canadian. Like what, like what's happening here? A- and then, you know, honestly, it, the similar thing, for like she was so generous to me, right? Like I was a nobody getting going first year in, in the business and she saw something. I don't know what. And within my first, you know, couple months of interactions, like, Oh, I've, I'm too busy to do this work with Microsoft. Do you want an introduction? I'm like, yes. Like what? Like the craziest thing. So that generosity, you know, someone told me early on, like, um, you know, the, the, the people at the top see the people working hard and coming up and, and generally the good ones reward it. And that always stuck with me where it's like, yeah, like it doesn't, if I'm secure in what I'm doing, it doesn't cost me anything. It's like, it doesn't cost anything to be kind. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Except for energy and time. And, and <laughs> that's ultimately why I started winding down my, my social involvement. But like, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've never, I've never had that fear around like, Oh, well, what if I, Share too much, or what if I give someone too much? And it's it's come back to me tenfold. You know, people people that I passed projects to later brought me in on big projects and stuff like that. So it's a good it's it's a good philosophy. It served me well.
0: Yeah, and you've definitely paid it forward. So even though you're not that active in certain groups anymore, if any copywriters are listening and you're in the Copywriter Club group and you go use that magical search function Mm -hmm. and you just search Joel Klecki's name, you'll see what we're talking about. Like he has dropped so much wisdom, Mm -hmm. even in just that one group over the years. Like it's basically a masterclass in so many things.
1: Just don't ask me about pricing. (laughs) Because I'll just tell you to charge a million dollars. Just charge a million. Run over again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so back when I first discovered you, it was just you. You were crushing it, and today you have an incredible company, Case Study Buddy, which creates case studies for. Can you fill in the blank here? Yeah. Big companies, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we help mid-sized enterprise clients who have mid-sized enterprise clients capture customer stories and use them across the entire buyer's journey. So we exist to make that whole process easier by taking care of all the heavy lifting.
0: Okay. And watching you grow Case Study Buddy has been really cool. Is it your main focus right now? Like catch us up to speed on sort of what you got going on
1: yeah so about a year and a half two years ago i just started sensing myself like a, a bit of a need for a change uh, i've been doing a lot of the conversion copyright, and i was just getting to a point where it stopped being fun uh and started being really stressful instead of being excited about new projects i became overwhelmed with new projects and just kind of lost touch with like am i actually good at this right like i, I I'm my own worst critic i always have been but it just got to a point where it, like i think when you find yourself like actually yelling <laughs> in your office about a website to nobody but yourself you probably need to change so uh case study buddy was something that i'd spun off you know so, some years earlier and it was always like a nice profitable little side project like it was initially for me kind of an experiment in you know can i build something bigger than myself something scalable i think conversion copy. I viewed as really tough to hire for and so specialized. And and with case studies, you know, I saw the opportunity to, you could build a team around this. You could build a process around this. This is something you could build up. And so it just kind of existed like on the side. I've got a partner in that business, Jen, uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't have gotten it to the point that, that it is without her. So important that she's named, Uh, but it just kind of sat there. And like it grew under its own steam, right? We got, some small clients, and then we got some bigger clients. It was pretty blue ocean because there's not a whole lot of like very specialized, hey, we just do customer stories, co- companies. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, Jen and I both decided we would shift to make it our, our more full-time focus. I was needing a change. I think we both saw the opportunity in it. We wanted to scale it and kind of see how far we we could take this thing because it went from like, oh, it's a $22,000 a year business to Oh, it's a, it's an $80,000 a year business too. Oh, it's a $250,000 business to Oh, it's an $800,000 a year business. And like, it grew to the part where like we need a pilot on this plane. Like we can't, it can't live off the side of our desks anymore. And, and we've really got to try to scale this thing. So yeah, shifted gears and my gosh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been fun. It's been hard. It's been even more stressed than, than doing my own thing at times. It's been a lot of learning and being humbled by that learning. But, you know, the reasons that I started have helped, like I, I wanted to grow in new and different ways. And you're never going to learn to manage a team or solve these types of problems if you don't, you know, if you only stay in your one very dedicated lane. So yeah, it's, it's the full-time focus and it's been the source of all of my, I think, a lot of my learning over the past couple of years.
0: Okay. I, I imagine you've learned a lot about building a team, particularly a team of creatives and other writers. Mm-hmm. And I selfishly want to ask if you could go back in time and tell your less experienced self, anything about that process of building a team of writers, what would you tell yourself?
1: Yeah. So to put this in context, I had tried to build a team once before and like failed <laughs> miserably, like terribly. So uh, there was a time, you know, I, I had the idea I was doing content before I was doing the conversion side of things, and then the conversion side started taking off. I thought, well, what am I going to do with all these content leads? I'll just build a team and pass to them, and I'll still make money, and it'll be wonderful. And it was not, (laughs) not. So in that first, I'll talk about the first experience, and then I learned even more with Case Study. So with the first experience, the thing that I learned is like there is a seismic shift when you go from being the creator to the person managing creators. And you bring all of your assumptions with you and almost all of them are wrong. Like in that first experience, I was like, surely people format things the way I do and use the same fonts and care about research and deadlines and don't need to be checked up on. And none of that like bore out. It's like, okay, like you cannot, it's such a simple thing to say, but like you cannot expect other people to be you. But for as simple as that statement is, so much of the failure of people trying to build teams in the early stages is they can't divorce themselves from the fact that they are not the creator anymore. Like they get drafts in and they rewrite them and they don't shift their minds. to like, okay, my job is actually to guide and support and like put bumpers on the bowling alley for someone else, not be me anymore. My job is to literally to be someone else. So with case study buddy, I think if I could go back maybe more sophisticated lessons than that. People ask like, what do you need first? Maybe not in this exact phrasing, but this is all, like the sentiment of this is what I, I've been asked. "Is Like, what do you need first? Do you put the process in place first? Do you go get the people first? Like, what, what do you what do you start with? And if, I think if I could go back and tell myself something different, you know, we start with the process. It, it served us, but ultimately hurt us later. It's actually neither. It's the purpose you have to realize when you're bringing someone into your world or your company, a process is not enough. And one thing I didn't do at the outset well enough, you know, was define like, why are we here and who do we serve and what are we aiming toward? And like, why do we have the standards that we have? Why do we, you know, come at it in this way? Um, Because you can build one hell of a process, but if people don't understand the why behind it or the ultimate like north star they're building toward, the best process in the world isn't going to help. So I think I would have started by sitting down more and defining like, what's the purpose? Like, who are we trying to be? Who are we trying to serve? What are we trying to do? What's unique about the way that we come at this? What are our values and philosophies? And I always like kind of hated the values side of things. I always felt super like squishy and kind of dumb. Uh, I remember like I worked for, you know, a place where like all of a sudden there was like an acronym for our values. I'm like, this doesn't mean anything to me. It's like, it's like some, some weird, like, I don't know, grapes or raisins. It was like, <laughs> you
0: no, know,
1: but I think, and that's not to say you, like need to have an ironclad value statement when you or that that's going to be like make break and like usurp the value of your, all that stuff. But like, as you scale, like that becomes invaluable because it, mm-hmm when it's not just you doing the hiring, when, it's, when you've got tough decisions, if you want to democratize decision-making, when you want people to feel like they don't need you to hold their hand anymore and like they can be independent, like the values are what define, what does a good decision look like here? And I think that's something I, I would have done differently. I think the second thing I would have done differently, you know, like the hiring process itself, I tend to overcomplicate things. So take this all with a grain of salt. But like, can you win just by going to a Facebook group and going like, hey, I need a writer? Yes. Is it likely? No. Uh, the, the whole process that we go through for hiring a writer now is like so much better than it used to be. Because before it's like, again, if if someone vouchers for something, like, yeah, great, you can do it. But now, you know, we kind of go through a process of, like, identify, ask, validate, right? We we want to have an easy way to weed out people that are obvious non-fits. And, like, the fact that I've been visible in the past was a blessing and a curse because we get a lot of people that wanted to work with me. And it's like, yeah, but this is not a mentorship. Like, I'm I'm not here to hold your hand and, like, teach you copy. I need you to be good at this, right? Not in a cold-hearted way. It's not that I don't want to be generous with the people working with me, but it's like, no, like, This is not an internship. This is this, we need you to be proficient. And so kind of, if you, even if you go to the Facebook group and you look at the job postings, you'll see how mine changed over time. Like it becomes more about weeding out people who you don't want to apply uh, while attracting the ones you do. And then the next step that we put in place is, and again, people, people don't like it, uh, but we put like a questionnaire, right? And it's just, it's a series of questions to help us understand, like, who are you? What's your motivation? What have you worked on? Tell us about your favorite projects. And that's good. And a lot of people stop there and they're like, okay, great. But then, you know, now the validate part is the conversation. And like just leaping to an interview, you'll burn a bunch of time on people who shouldn't have gotten an interview, not going to an interview. You won't validate anything you've learned in like the survey or the questionnaire. And so in those interviews, like my favorite questions now, when I'm trying to hire creatives are like, okay, tell me, tell me about the project you worked on. I'll usually like rattle it off. And then it's like, why did you write it that way? Like walk me through your decision-making process. There are lots of people who can write words. There are fewer people who can write words with intention and, and identify like, this is why it's structured the way. So if you're hiring people to work on conversion copy, like that's the most important question you can ask them in an interview. Walk me through this. What was your thinking process? And then the other thing, you know, we talk about test projects, a lot of people hate them. I'm I'm not for test projects that are unpaid. I think you should always pay. But there's two types of test projects and this, is something I would have told myself earlier too. I always saw test projects as like, oh, it's like go get them to write a thing. And that's yeah, cost something, it's laborious. But there's writing test projects and there's thinking test projects. I'm like a writing test project is like write a thing. A thinking test project is, okay, you wrote a thing. If you had to change this based on this new criteria and I'm just telling you now, how would you do it? And again, sit back and listen. And and that's Again, we say clear writing is clear thinking, but then we don't interview like it is. We're like, "Oh, look at your portfolio; it's wonderful." We don't ask what they're thinking at all. So we we made mistakes. We made bad hires by not by not doing that. And I think we're better for it now that that we kind of come at it that way. You have to get to the heart and soul of how somebody thinks through copy because it's the brain behind the words that ultimately decides how good they're going to be at you know your your job. Mm.
2: So okay. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. I feel like, I feel like we could just take that as a clip and it would be like super valuable for so many people trying to build teams or even hire like hire writers for themselves. Like if, you know, if you're a service provider or a SaaS company or something to like how to actually figure out which person would be the right person for you. Yeah.
1: You know, you're doing it wrong the minute you're rewriting someone's work. I mean, that's, for the more junior folks out there are the people who are like going for person number one like if you're if you're like i need to hire one more person like the telltale sign you're coming at it wrong is you're rewriting their work that's not a partnership that's not help that's you being a megalomaniac which it took me a long time to divorce myself from and it it hurt us it, it took us longer because i couldn't let go
0: so yeah, me too. I still I still fall into that sometimes and I have to like pry my fingers off the keyboard and do the exact same thing you're asking the copywriters you're interviewing to do, which is explain the thinking behind the thing. Mm-hmm. That is so much harder than it sounds because these things are just like, integral to us we've done them so many times we live in our own heads it all makes sense to us and the assumption is that it's obvious to everybody else and it is so not obvious and I've always thought like with the writers working with me like they don't want to hear me ramble on about like why I do things a certain way or want them to do things a certain way and yet when I do Mm -hmm. And it's always totally imperfect. And I feel like I'm so much better at writing than at talking. But the response is almost always like, wow, this makes so much more sense. Thank you so much. Like now I actually get it. And so internally, that's what I'm working on right now is developing like just better systems for guidance around like yeah, the thinking behind the thing, basically.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think the other thing I wish I would have learned earlier, and thankfully, you know, I've like one of my best friends in life, Steve Peters has come with me on every like writing adventure since he's like one of the, you know, one of our more senior writers at Case Study Buddy, and he worked with me on the conversion side. So I kind of did this by accident, but it's counterintuitive. When you're first starting a writing team, your reflex is to go for people where you're like, how can I make the most margin, right? Like, it's not that you want to like grind people into dust, but you're looking for that healthy balance of like, oh, I can outsource this work for less than I would do it. Mm. And, you know, that's still intense. You still need that to run a business. But in retrospect, if we're looking at, okay, purpose, process, people, right? You have to define the purpose of like why you do what you do and do it that way. You have to have a process to bring someone into. But when you're hiring your very first person, the reflex is to go for someone junior who you're like, they'll just follow the process. Nah, what you really want to do is hire someone who's good enough to help you refine it. Mm -hmm. Someone who's going to be able to go, this process is good, but here's how we can make it better. And yeah, there'll be a more expensive hire for sure, but that's going to be the person teaching the process to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. Right. And so that's where like with Steven, um, it started out me teaching him stuff, but now, Like he, he kind of runs head of story uh, for, for case study buddy. Now I don't have to look at it. And he is so meticulous. He gets the purpose. He gets the process. And moreover, he knows how to bend and break it when we need to. So I lucked into that. But again, if I was doing it again, it's not intuitive to go with someone a little bit more expensive as your first hex. Like I'm just excited to make sweet cash on this. It's it's worth the the lower margin. Uh, you're, You're building a team. Now you're not, hiring an assistant.
0: Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. Dawn was my first hire and Mm -hmm. she was definitely that of like refining and improving and even just straight up documenting the actual processes so that other people could follow Uh along. And yeah, like that is so key.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you you talk about that. Like, speak about all of this because it's like a kind of. Uh, was with Shanti while she was building her team and like helping her build her team. And like, that is a skill that I have is the ability to like pull out the what, like not even necessarily telling people how to do things, but like meeting with them. Like, I think there were probably more meetings than Shanti wanted between me and our junior writers when we were bringing people on, but that enabled us to like have to rewrite less. Right. It was like, I would be like, okay, we need to meet to talk about this. Can you tell me why you were doing it that way? Um, And it was easier to like then offer like okay well this is how shanti does it this is why we do it in this way to them after listening to them we also like started with like extremely talented writers and so that like even though they weren't conversion copywriters like one of them is like one of the best poets that i know in canada and then another one has like a creative or a english lit degree from harvard right so like we kind of like lucked out in having people who were going to be able to Be humble enough to listen and understand, but also, like, work hard and and have those brains. And then for myself, you talk about margins. So now I hire junior writers. And my business, my margins are shit. Like, it's not that bad. I'm doing fine. But, like, I can't charge enough. Like, I can, but I have, like, that that pressure around charging to pay what I want to pay my junior writers. Even if they don't have like copy school or something, if they're like great writers, I want to pay them at least 50 bucks an hour to start. Right. Or like, and so, yeah, I end at my margins. I'm like, oh God, like I'm at like 50% a lot of the time, or like my big margin is I hire Canadians. And so like, I, I like get that extra, whatever the, whatever the the shift is. And I think it's like enabled me to take on more work than I would be able to otherwise. And I won't, I'm, I don't want to rewrite it. So I can't, like, I, that would stress me out so much. And I, like, I would worry about Shanti. Like, wait a minute, are you, like, rewriting things? Even before she, like, even before she hired me, like, are you writing this thing? Like, stop. So I well, think. That, yeah,
0: that was a really powerful lesson that you taught me without even knowing it is my inc- first inclination and impulse is to jump straight to, like, this is horrible. I have to fix it. Mm-hmm. And you were like, "No. You can have a conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> and that can be the in between." So, I I think I'm better at that
2: now. Oh, so
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys are putting out great. Yeah, I mean, 50% is not bad, Don. That's you know, like at I I would kill for 50% sometimes right now, but yeah, but I think, to like, to put a pin in this a little bit, like, think about it this way. And think about, like, it's one of the most demean jobs. So I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, right? But people are like, oh, burger flippers, right? A girl flip burgers, they treat like an unskilled liver. How much money and time does McDonald's invest in training people to flip burgers? And how much time does the average person hiring a writer do? like? Hi. Like it's it's ludicrous. Like, what other job do people, whether it's other writers, even or companies, have the expectation that we'll give you a brief and a push off the ledge and come back with brilliance? Like, Uh that's not how real life works, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's a heavy realization. Like, if you want to, you might get away with it when you've got a team of two, you and one other person, if the person's just phenomenal. But if you want to scale a team, Mm -hmm. if you want to grow a business, if you want to build a writing-based business, like you have to change your mentality. They're like it's not briefs and pushes. It's you're sitting down. You're talking through. You're giving direction. You know that you're you're meeting with them. You're articulating. You're patient. You're not rewriting because again, like, is your t- is your kid, for example, going to learn to tie their shoes if every time they struggle to tie their shoes, you're just like, I'm doing it. Like, like you're done. Like you'll have a teenager who can't tie their shoes, and it's your fault it's not their fault. You're robbing them of the opportunity to, to learn something, you know, that's, that's not teaching. That's your own ego getting in the way. And that was, it was, and is still tough, tough for me to get past. I leap to change things because it feels like the stakes are so high. I think that's the other thing growing a team. You realize like most failures aren't fatal. We've had, we've had bad ones, you know, where it's cost us big, but the average failure is pretty easy to make up. People are pretty understanding. And if you live in constant fear that any shortcoming is going to like nuclear bomb your business, it's, it's not rational, right? It's it's not the real world. People are more understanding and, and life goes on. And that's that's been a progressive learning with case study buddy two, The more that I've had to let go of, the more you learn to accept like mistakes are going to happen. It doesn't matter how good our best people have made big mistakes. It's reality. It doesn't make them any any less valuable to us. You know, learning to deal with failure, mistakes, issues in a business is integral. You will never run an issue-free business. There's no there's no such thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So true. Speaking of shoe tying and children, I'm curious how, well, what is the most substantial change? to your business since having two little kiddos.
1: Yeah. In the early days when you're, I mean, I started, you know, 2013, I wasn't even, wasn't even married yet. I, you know, I just went on my own and like your time is totally yours. And if you work from sun up till midnight, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody else is influenced, you know, it's like, it's not good for you, but you're, you're not, you know, it's, it's not bad necessarily for anyone else. Time management you know, becomes essential the the guilt of not being present is real right you you learn real fast that if you can't learn to engineer your day in a way that lets you be there and do what you want to do for me anyways you're gonna regret it um you're gonna miss stuff and i think i haven't always gotten it right right but in a really positive way your kids are like a forced boundary it's like your day ends when it ends you learn real quick. At least I, you know, I, I'm continuing to learn the lesson of like, there's things that don't belong on your phone. There's apps you shouldn't have there. There's email accounts you shouldn't add to that because it's, it's going to take you away. And I think that's tough when you're passionate. You know, I, I think you can be a passionate parent. You can be a passionate business. I think, I think those things can coexist. I think they virtually always butt heads and learning to Tame both sides and and put meaningful things. I mean that's, I, it's been tough, you know, for, for for a lot of us. We identify ourselves in who we are and what we've done and the work we produce. And and when that gets challenged by kiddos, and that's not to say they're not an inconvenience or anything like that. But when when who you think you are, or when a new part of you, like now I'm a dad, shows up, you have to decide what to do with it and how you're going to prioritize it. It seems. Like it's something that should be easy, but it's not. So I think that's, I think that's one thing. I think, you know, people always talk about, don't bring your work home with you. And I think that's the other. And that was like a major, a major push for me to get out of conversion copywriting for the moment. You know, I still do the odd audit or whatever. And it's something I I feel like I can always go back to. I still enjoy probably now more than I'm not doing it so much, but like the stress that you allow to creep into your job, it's, it's going to show up other places too, right? I'm hyper aware that like your kids are tiny little people once. There's only so many years I'm going to have that kid knocking at my door saying, dad, play floor hockey with me or bringing me cookies or sliding pictures he's drawn under my door. If I don't take the time to be there for that, it, it won't come back. And yeah being cognizant of that when you really get it when you every so often I'll get a reality check but when I'm at my best when you really get it that's that's where it's like oh like business is great and it's important but it's not the important thing anymore
0: yeah cue the Jordan Peterson clip you only (laughs) got four years which every time like I tear up and there's never enough reminders Mm. of that truth that well you don't only have four years but like they're only so little and so precious for such a
2: short time
1: yeah
2: Yeah. I don't even have kids and I feel that way about Shanti's kids I like moved away (laughs) and I'm like no they're growing too fast I need to get back to the and of course I miss I miss Chantel and my friends but actually I'm yeah, but Ashy, like, he's like an adult now. I mean, he's not even two, um, but but they change so quickly. I wonder, I noticed since starting to, like, stalk you um, that, and this is how good of a stalker I am, that you really got into fitness in the last couple of years. Is that sort of for the same, same reason, like, f- for your kids? Oh self in Strava so I know that you've ran 206.3 kilometers (laughs) (laughs) this year uh prior to August
1: yeah I mean it there's a lot of things I do now to try to offset unlearn and grow in new directions, right? I mean, I this has been one of the hardest years, I think, for everybody. But for me personally, like, it's been tough in the business. It's been tough in my personal life. I'm dealing with things I've never had to deal with before. Like, on the back of all that running, I've got some, like, chronic pain stuff that I'm trying to, like, navigate through, right? And running honestly started for me as like mental health like I needed to get outside I needed to move I needed to feel like there was some part of my day that I controlled and that was just for me and that there was something to show for it because I when I'm not doing well I will like retreat into like game like video games and like there's it's a net zero activity it feels good while you're doing it but they're like at the end of it's like you're not going to be able to tell like look at my PlayStation trophy like nobody nobody cares. There's no tangible output. It's not like, I'm not saying it's not death to downtime. We all need that stuff, but it was just like, so running for me, was like partially mental health. I I was challenged to do this trail race that I did by my friend, Jamie, who's an ultra marathoner and just seeing like what he made possible for himself by committing to that was inspiring to me. And so I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I think when the pandemic was really in its early going for me there was like some red flags i'm like if i don't proactively deal with this this is gonna be a bad time and so i you know i haven't stuck to everything but like i went almost two years without any alcohol i started you know running uh, intermittent fasting all that stuff and this year has been a journey to try to get back (laughs) to to a lot of those good habits um relearning and unlearning and, and all of that so the plan right now, yeah, it's funny you bring it up. Like I've been waking up at five, trying to stretch, trying to deal with some of this initial chronic pain stuff. And then the horrible, wonderful thing I'll be doing is winter running. <laughs> so I'll be going out in Calgary's frozen tundra and shuffling around in my, in my little, my little toque. So. <laughs>
2: Your little lemon shorts. Yeah,
1: definitely. I'll bundle up a little bit more.
2: well so from my side uh, I like to run too although it hurts my knees and um, same same reason got into it for like mental health stuff just to deal with it but watching you go and I think yeah I remember maybe you posted about like quitting whiskey or something like that was actually really inspiring on the other side of it I think like as writers there's so much romanticization of the like smoking and drinking and being like stressed out. and like, that's the only way creativity will come thing. That it was cool to see someone that I admire being like, all right, I'm going, I'm going in the other, in, not, not in the other direction, yeah. but to think of the pendulum swing. Right. And like how, when we go too hard on our body, that can bring in chronic pain and like go too hard in our business and it can bring on chronic stress. Like. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I mean,
1: too much of anything is like, not ideal right and i think like when it comes to stress you know, like th- there is this romanticized vision of, like what a writer is and i honestly think and i say this as someone who's still at this very moment is sitting next to a, a beer advent calendar I, r- I really do think alcohol for like the next generation is going to be like cigarettes were for ours where it's just like but why <laughs> like the, the you know there there are parts of it that are great like anything that's that's you know, it's it's not all black and white, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think I've changed my mind on a lot of things over the past couple of years. I was like dead set against like I thought meditation was hokey and like now I do it every morning <laughs> and um, I was like stretching doesn't do anything like look at all these now I'm gonna stretch every morning and uh, you know, like I, I don't know if it's growing up or just shifting my mindset or being more open to being wrong. Uh, I think kids will do that for you where they will bring out the best and the absolute worst in your character. But I, you know, I can, ch- I continue to change my mind on what works best for me and what works best for my writing, and what works best for my business. And I've been wrong a lot. I've been <laughs> wrong a lot this past year. I've made hires that didn't work out. I took the business and directions that didn't pay off. I've had conversations I thought went one way and then went another. I've, you know, d- Try it. And I think the older I get, it's like the cliche, but like the older you get, the less you know. You know, when you're younger, you think you know it all, you think you can know it all. With writing and my writing career, I, you know, part of my sharing was validating to myself, like, I'm good at this. Like, I needed that for me. You know, I, I would do it because I needed to feel like I had something to give. And it's not that, again, it's not that I don't want to be generous now, but I think I'm at a point where like I finally feel like. I don't have anything left to prove, you know, like if I'm going to do it, it's because I want to not because there's this internal need to be seen a certain way. And the pendulum swings on that too, like anything, but, you know, I think a lot of that came from a place of just wanting to validate, like, I'm I'm good at this. I'm here. I'm present. I'm somebody. And so while it was healthy and helpful for a lot of other people, I think, you know, Linda in, in particular helped me see like, you know, parts of this are maybe not as not coming from as positive a place. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 Shout out to Linda Perry, her mm-hmm. mindset magic. We need to get her on the pod. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. 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 It's been a hard year for a lot of people. And I feel you on the just things not going as expected and the hardship and, and often identity crises that that brings up. And yeah, the question of like, am I, do I know what I'm doing at all uh, is so real. So thank you for being so open about that. yeah what, From all of that of the last year, like all of this struggle and strife and challenges on all the levels, if you had to find the silver lining what do you think it would be
1: i think there's a few right <laughs> every every part of me feels like this is arrogant to say but i feel like i could i could start another million dollar business in half the time mm. just with the sheer amount of stuff that i have encountered and gone through and had to navigate i think on the business front the the silver lining is like i have taken a lot on the chin this past year. It sucked while it happens, but every time you try to learn something from it and make a better decision, you know, next time, I think that's one silver lining. I I think another silver lining is just again, like I have always been someone who doesn't like to look like I'm in need of help. You know, I like to be the helper. I like to be the one with advice. I like to be the leader. In the past, you know, year or two, I've done more proactively, like seeking out help and accepting help and um, looking for advice than giving it. And I think that's that's a skill. You know, I, I think some people are very good at giving advice. Some people are very good at taking advice. Like I look at Jonathan Dane at Client Boost, for example. That guy's just a advice-taking machine. He's like so open to being wrong. He's so curious about everything. You know he he's not afraid to like ask for help, and he doesn't pretend he knows everything. But he can be like ludicrously effective because he's just always like learning. He's not ashamed to like say like oh, what do you? He's he's good at tapping other experts in. I've sucked at that for years, right? Um. So so that's a silver lining too, right? Like there's something to be said for learning to say you don't know, and like. Be all right with that, and to not immediately, you know, my my attitude for a long time has always been, well, I know what to do; it's just a matter of doing it. But then you do it, and it doesn't work out like you expect. You're like, maybe I don't know what to do. You know, maybe maybe it's worth just taking the guard down a little bit. And uh, yeah, so I think those are two silver linings. I feel like I'm more equipped than ever to do things with business, and I feel like I've learned. How to ask for help, um, and I think both of those things go hand in hand and will serve me better in, in a lot of areas of life. Beautiful.
2: I love the idea of like I made a bunch of mistakes this year, and now I'm more equipped than ever to launch another million dollar <laughs> business. Not, but not, but from like a humble place. Yeah, so, yeah that's great. I, that's I, great.
1: it's just like we, we honestly play the game on hard mode. A case study, buddy, like we're doing one of the hardest assets you can do for one of the toughest verticals you can do it in. Like I, it's not, it's no disrespect to to people running, you know, teams that do blogs or whatever, but there are days where I'm just like, how much easier would it be if we didn't have to have three stakeholders on every single project? Right. But there's arrogance in that too, because every, every single job you ever have, like there will be challenges and stuff that's tough about it. But yeah, I mean, it's, we've taken a ton on the chin this year and it's just like, you can either crumple or you can try to get back up and learn something from it. And so when I'm at my best, I'm doing the second.
0: (laughs) All right. So Joel, speaking of assistance and getting help and being more productive Yes, Can we chat a little bit about your thoughts on like this whole AI revolution and the role that it has in the copywriting industry. and yeah. you've been posting some hilarious experiments that you've done with chat Gpt yeah, like just pure gold. Maybe you could tell us about your favorites, yeah, and yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on where things might be headed.
1: Yeah, this is like such a source of joy for me lately. (laughs) It's like such a bright spot in my day. And it's also something I've changed my mind on. I was, you know, we we saw the emergence of GPT-3, you saw the output of it. It's not that I didn't realize, oh, there's potential to this, but I really looked at it through the lens of like, oh, my job is safe. You know, like, "Ah, it's not a human, it's an unthinking machine. And I kind of dismissed it. And There's fear in that. And I see that fear running rampant right now. People out of hand dismissing like, no, like you're always going to need a human. It's like, yes, that may be true. But if you're pretending that your job is not about to dramatically change, even just the perception of your job. Like we are talking, the OGs of copy are having conversations right now in groups, in private, good dear friends of mine, like Liana and Jennifer Hayvice and Sam Woods. And like, if we've got our heads on a swivel and that's not to say that we're so elevated and lofty, but like, I've been able to do pretty well for myself in the SaaS space doing conversion copy. I no longer hold the opinion that like, oh yeah our jobs are going to, you know, remain the same. And this is something that's just like a fringe thing. Like with chat GPT, this has just exploded into the mainstream. And like, I continue to be delightfully shocked at what's possible with it. There are so, so many just different applications. I I, I need to pull this up because I was ruminating on this earlier today, just thinking about like, what are some of the areas that I think like this is, this is going to make a difference. And like, Everything from idea generation, like we run on calories, we get tired. Our our thinking is limited. We struggle to combine ideas um, at, at a rapid pace. I can put a prompt in about Samuel L. Jackson being a tour bus driver who hates his job in the city of London, leading a tour and get it to put out a hilarious, objectively hilarious script for that. Right now, it spits that out in seconds. And if I want to say, I'm the human writer and I'm like, now I want to rewrite the same story, but I want to make it about Kelowna, BC. I have to take the time, go research the sites in Kelowna, BC, come up with new dialogue with GPT three with, with chat GPT. It's two seconds, Write The, write The previous scene, but now it's based in Calgary and it spits it out. Or like I have taken, I I took a prompt all about, um, you know, home improvement, and like, okay, Tim the Toolman Taylor has like an on site accident that makes him reconsider the whole premise of tool time and take it in a bold new direction. And uh, so, again, you tell that story, and then we struggle to combine ideas. We, you know, like the best ideas and copy often come from incidental. You bump into something, you read something, it's this cool, natural confluence of ideas. And I don't think that's going away or that that has completely lost value, but I can take that Tim the Toolman Taylor thing and say, now write it in the apocalypse, and it will spit the same story out but now it's a post-apocalyptic tool time scene in the crowd is skeleton like it's it's bonkers right so idea generation i think already right now it's a dramatically powerful tool for that i think in terms of like rapid ugly drafting um you know this is the one people are familiar with but like people are like oh it always needs a human to edit and i'm like do you not realize though like our jobs will start to shift progressively towards editing and also that editing and writing are very different skills. Um, They, they seem the same. They're not, but like rapid ugly drafting or like distilling and summarizing data. Like I fed one of our case studies into one of these platforms. And I said, spit out some LinkedIn posts, you know, give me, give me a a two sentence summary, a synopsis for this. And it did a, a pretty good job. I took it back to our team, you know, and they're like this generated better headlines than some of the things we actually ran with. Right. And so, yeah, we still produce the core initial doc. You know, we, we still, it was a lot of human effort to do that interview and document it, but I don't think it's unreasonable to imagine a day where we can put a transcript from one of our interviews in And it will pull the main points, or it will isolate and categorize the quotes for us, which is something clients want to see. Or we'll be able to take, you know, tell it this is our template and outline for a one sheet. Here's the fifteen hundred word piece. Pop it in the in the one sheet. Right now, that's a manual job. Doesn't take even a a ton of time—one, two hours for Lori or Stephen, whoever to do it. But seconds is a whole lot shorter than hours you know, so ugly drafting, summarizing data, repurposing existing, you know, content. These are all areas that like the time is already here where where these things are going to start to shift. I mean, again, how many like look at the just wild sensation of people doing these portrait headshots and like ethics aside, the fact that the most popular ones are directly ripping off of the artists that inspired them. uh, Think of how many People. And this is this is again where it's like, how many people took to Fiverr? People in overseas countries who had to learn the skill and started doing headshots and started, you know, and that was how they made their living was like, oh, I'll do your corporate cartoony style headshots. And now that's a prompt. And we can pretend that those people aren't impact and that, oh no, people will value the unique stuff. But for the average person, the question is, do they care enough? Right? Like, and I don't think the answer, unfortunately, is going to be yes. And so i think we're gonna start to see like with shorter copy again like there's less margin for error and if if it's you the person competing against the machine that can spit out 2000 ideas in 10 minutes some of those 2000 ideas are going to be really really good like we can't pretend they're not so i think this this i don't i don't want to be depressing about it because i don't think that's where it should go but i think it's the ultimate sidekick. It's the ultimate ideation sidekick. It can help you repurpose more quickly. The perception and the bar for people is coming down in terms of like, you know, what, what they expect and what they think is is reasonable. And I think if we can get up in front of it and leverage it, you know, I still have to be creative to come up with a prompt like Samuel L. Jackson on a tour bus and they stop one at a time. But that's, I think that's going to be a skill, you know, that that we hone. So, you know, are we going to see AI independently spitting out, you know, super high converting landing pages without human oversight. My answer probably used to be no. And now it's more like maybe I think it's possible. You know, I, I think we still have the opportunity to be the person with the ideas. We still have the opportunity to be the one reining it in and taking it in new directions. But I think we're kicking ourselves, you know, we're fooling ourselves if we don't think, That this is going to change everything about about how we come at it. Um, Even research, right? Like how much time I I have spent probably literal, literal years going through spreadsheets of responses and looking for sticky copy and categorizing and theming. And it's a manual task and it's good for me to do because it gets my head in the mind space of the customer, but we're not far away from AI being able to take that out, categorize it for me, present it to me, these are the primary themes, these are the things people are seeing. And then, you know, shortening the gap. So, you know, I don't think it's going to start happening necessarily independently. AI is just going to replace us to plant us overnight, but I do think there has not been a more powerful tool or sidekick or a more exciting development in the space that I can think of in all the times I've been I've been writing. And if you're skeptical, just all I can say is. Go play with it. Mm-hmm. Go put the craziest thing you can think of in and, and see what comes out. Fact checking is still gonna be a huge thing. Quality control, you're still gonna get some word salad. It's not perfect. But if this is how good this thing is now, mm-hmm. like where's it gonna be in five years? You know?
0: Yeah. And I think GPT four is supposed to come out early 2023. And that's already light years ahead of GPT three. And yeah, I am a little freaked out about a lot of people's livelihoods and the future of our whole society
1: Yeah, yeah. As,
0: as a business owner and someone who like makes a living through writing words that people pay a lot of money for. I have taken solace in what Sam Woods has been talking about in that unique perspective and personality and emotion is still going to play a really critical role in that like that human piece of the puzzle Yeah. but that that's now going to be the differentiator
1: yeah yeah i mean to take it in like kind of a different direction but just this is where my brain goes with this right like we're talking about the writing side and like what other stuff gets written, right? My, my brain spirals off, right? Like, okay, so we talked about the video games I like to play earlier and tabletop RPGs, whatever. Like one of the coolest things that I can imagine, for example, there's this confluence of like great and terrible, wonderful and awful things. But like there, if you've seen what Descript has done with Overdub, they can take 10 minutes of your voice and then convincingly replicate your voice saying whatever you want your voice to be saying, right? It's still not 100% perfect, but it's pretty, it's pretty damn good. And so you go, okay, well, what's going to happen when like this whole GPT-4 thing collides with voiceover dubbing? Like you could in theory have like NPCs and video games with bottomless dialogue, right? Um, On a more scary front, like I, I think humanity is in a place where tech has like moved so fast and ethics has limped along behind that we aren't even ready for like the reality we're creating. But like, imagine this scenario, this, this keeps me up at night. We have now the ability to like scrape the web at a rapid pace, right? So let's say I am a nefarious person and I'm like, I want to scam Don. So I am going to scrape Don's professional profiles and her social media I'm going to pull some personal things about her. I'm going to categorize those things. It's going to spit out some interests, some specific places. If like most people, you know, we don't have location shut off on our phone or whatever. I'm going to be able to see some places he went. Then, well, maybe Don's been on some podcasts or maybe Don's been in some videos. Well, I'm going to take 10 minutes of that and I'm going to put that through this overdub. And now I've got Don's voice and I've got Don's interests and I've got Don's whereabouts. And now what I'm going to do Here's where I'm gonna get really fun with all of this. I'm gonna call Don's grandma, and I'm gonna beat Don, and I'm gonna reference things Don Don's grandma knows about, and I'm gonna ask her to send me money or whatever. Like that's the kind of thing where it's like that scares the shit out of me because it's it's already like it's already possible. And then you look at this AI art thing and you look at deepfakes, and it's like, how are we going to get to a point in the future? where we know what's real and we know what's valuable and we understand, you know, we're able to, to know the difference. I mean, people are are very optimistic like, Oh, we can tell what a deep fake is. I'm like millions of people retweet headlines that feel good to them and have no basis in fact, and they are not fact-checking that. And you're trying to tell me that someone is going to just instinctively discern like, Oh, this is a fake. Like public personalities, you know, so much of our lives, so much of who we are, so much of what we do lives online. There's no, there's no back button for it. Mm -hmm. And the amount of what's available and what's out there and what could be done with it is both like fascinating and wonderful. I think there's great things that will come out of this and terrible. And even to the point that like, one of the things that I get nervous about too, right? Like right now, fact checking for GPT is awful. It's, you ask it what the fastest, you know, water mammal is. And it says a peregrine falcon, like it doesn't understand a falcon's not a mammal right now. It's bad, but it's going to get better. And And if there's ever been a technology that could eventually supplant the big G in Google, this is it where the answers come to you based on what you ask. And there's no need to attribute. I don't care what your website is like. I'm just going to learn from whatever this thing spits out. And it's just going to scrape your content and give it to me. And it's never going to let me know that you wrote it. Mm. And so again, like there's a shift now, the expertise, like lots of stuff's probably going to go into emails, (laughs) like email newsletters. And, you know, the people who are providing the new thinking again, will be the ones that like people subscribe to them because like, well, I'm getting new insights that I won't just get from, you know, they're not in the chat yet, but Mm. I don't know. I'm like in awe of, terrified by and having a shitload of fun <laughs> with, with AI. And from my, but like, that's, that's probably going to be my next passion project is just like this whole AI storytelling thing. Mm-hmm. I'm having way too much fun to not turn it into something.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I'm with you. There's, it's, it's a quite a dichotomy of sentiments oh, yeah. about the whole thing. And I want to befriend it and understand how to use it to our advantage and to do good things in the world to maybe balance out some of the chaos that will inevitably ensue. So I think that I'm I'm with you. I'm just going to try to experiment with it and play around and also try not to Worry about my children's future too, <laughs>
1: too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, like again, like conversely, like think of of the good too, right? Like people, we talk about as writers, like, oh, it's unfair that other people might be able to generate ideas and communicate to some semblance of what we do. But then again, like, look at those who, whether for for a physical reason or whatever, they aren't able to communicate. They are they aren't able to express themselves. And like, what incredible things will this unlock for them, right? How will, how will it change the way that people who suffer, you know, a a mental disability or whatever are perceived when they, they can actually articulate when they, when they have something that can help get what's inside out. Right. Like, and that, that's, what's heartening to me is like, yeah, there's, there's like so much incredible good that can be done. There's so much incredible bad that can be done. I mean, the thing, that's the other thing, Shani, is like, yeah, I, I that keeps me up and I was like what kind of world are my kids walking into for so many reasons on so many levels and like will it will it be great will it be terrible and how will we govern what we do with the things that we're we're unlocking and I'm sure on some level you know if we went back to the like early 1900s and someone saw a calculator they'd probably say the same thing like What devilry is this? Like the end of mankind is nigh. But like it's uh yeah, it's a lot. And I I I don't, you know, to just revisit something I said, right? Like I'm not trying to be demeaning to writers who are worried. Like I we're all we're all going through it. But my note is just like if you stay in a place of fear and you don't even engage with it, if you choose to believe that this won't impact you you're wrong and it's better to go have fun with it and see what you can create and treat it like a tool and an opportunity than an existential threat. Cause it will be, it will be what you make it. And I think there's still room for your unique voice and your unique ideas. Again, like I'm amazed what I see people doing with it. And I don't say this in an arrogant way, but like, so far, I'm the only one I've seen like generating Samuel L. Jackson tour bus scripts. So like, (laughs) Is still a place for me
0: yeah man i feel like that shit would go viral on tiktok or if you were <laughs> posting videos walking through that script oh, i
1: so want to i so badly want to like animate and voice over it
0: yeah Just, yeah
1: like, i'm I trying wish, to decide what to do with it
0: maybe you could with the graphic ais and yeah, visual yeah. Ones. like well, that's that, the crazy yeah. part
1: that's kind of what I'm batting around is like, do I see what I can create? I mean, again, the the visual stuff, I got to find a platform that I'd feel comfortable using that isn't like directly stealing, stealing yeah. from people. But like, yeah, that for me, that's kind of it. It's like, I can see, for example, like it's already sparked new ideas in me. Like one of my passions, I'd love to write part of why I loved to write in the first place was writing stuff that was funny and made people laugh. Like i published a dumb little book it's back there called Hawk Attack about like my life when I was in my teens and uh, like early 20s and uh, it's embarrassing and probably offensive now because hopefully I've grown as a person Um, but like you know like it's already inspired me like how cool would it be to use AI to generate these absurd and hilarious scripts and then turn it into like a narrated podcast or whatever like it is going to be what you make of it and that's what I'm starting to embrace I was I was really disinterested and honestly fearful of it and now I'm like well, no, cannonball like let's go let's figure this thing out and if it puts me out of work at least I'll have a hell of a lot of fun and probably find something new I can do with it so
2: yeah I'm inspired Shadi was playing with Jasper for a bit right um but like it wasn't very good but it just seems in the last two weeks what you guys have all been posting Getting. is so, so
1: that's Right. Nice. That is the rumor is that like chat GPT is actually like 3.5 or it's actually like feeding into four. And you can, again, like, I think what's, what I see is different this time is like, the, again, the first one came out, there's a little bit of adoption. The second one's coming out. And I mean, I first, when GPT3 first came out, I didn't get any texts from my sisters about it. You know, they, they didn't care. They're like pretty divorced from the online world. They know what it is, right? Like, they're, they're seeing it. They're seeing this AI art, they're seeing all this other stuff. And, you know, I'm having discussions with like my friend Russ, who, again, he, he wasn't real big on this stuff, but he's a web developer. He's like, yeah, this stuff's gunning for me. I, I've got to figure out, you know, like what, what I do with it, how I leverage it, you know, what I make of it. And yeah, it's, I, what I mean by all of this is this is like it's more in the public consciousness and eye than any of the previous iterations were. And even those made pretty big ripples. So I, yeah, it's it's like an iPhone moment for me. Only this time I feel like I'm aware of it. The first time, like smartphones came like, I don't want that. That's dumb. I don't need to go on the internet on a phone. Like, (laughs) and then now, you know, you can't find a person without you know a screen they stare into half of their lives so it to me it's yeah it's just a seismic shift in everything and it's going to be very interesting to see where it I'm goes
2: inspired. i feel like we've been like playing with like vip weeks <laughs> i feel like i could like sell them as vip dates then because i'm a real fast editor <laughs> so, right <laughs> like yeah yeah cool wow this has been really inspiring in like so many crazy ways where's the best place for people to find you
1: Yeah. I'm most active these days on LinkedIn. I never refuse an invite with a message that's actually real. That's a big part that pushed me off of Facebook as well as just the sheer amount of like adding and then pitching. So if you send me a message, you're like, hey, blah, blah, blah. I'm an actual human. Yeah, we'll connect. Uh, So I'm active on there. You can check out what we're doing with Case Study Buddy at casestudybuddy.com. If and when I get back to having my newsletter, <laughs> which I got billed thirteen hundred dollars for and haven't done anything with for a year, um, that'll be a place where I probably come back to and start sharing my thoughts on some of this stuff because I think I'm finally ready to do that stuff again. And those will be those will be the places.
0: Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much, Joel. This was really amazing conversation, and it's been great to just catch up and.
1: It has. Do you know what I think maybe a good thought to close on is like for as much as we'll change in our jobs and whatever, there's no technological thing that will ever come up that will supplant just the sheer happiness and joy of a good human conversation with people you like and respect. And I very much like and respect the both of you. So this has been a gift to me to to Mm -hmm. spend a good hour talking with folks that I don't talk to nearly enough.
0: Mm. Cheers to that, man! I'm tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I like I'm such
2: a good clothes. <laughs> let's do it again for sure. Thanks so much for being on
0: the podcast. Whoa! Look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sewing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash u a quiz and thank you again sunshine go light up the world and we'll see you next time